Episode 114 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast brought to you by Fangraphs.com. I'm your host, Jason Collette, on Thursday, May the 1st, which means Eno Saris is in the house. What's going on, man? Hey, dude. Day baseball. A lot of day baseball. Two doubleheaders today, uh, and the the pitching is outside of Dan Heron, who you wrote about today in a, in a great piece. We talked about this on Tuesday. Uh, so as you're listening to this on Thursday, the, the information that you and I discussed is on the website now, so you can see the, the full story. Dan Heron's pitching well today, um, and that's kind of it. Mike Pelfrey is doing Mike Pelfrey things, and that's why he's a 7.99 ERA this year. Uh, and there's Jake Peavy versus Cesar Ramos in the other game going on right now, and uh, Jake Peavy is having trouble locating his, uh, his fastball. In fact, he walked a run in with the bases loaded. And Cesar Ramos is pitching some interesting baseball. We'll get we're going to talk about him and the Rays in a little bit. But today's podcast, we've got some of this comes from questions you guys put in the comments. Some of this comes from questions that people have thrown at us on Twitter, and some of this comes out of questions that came in during the chat that Eno had today. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if you look at your total numbers, Eno, and I don't know if, if, if listeners realize this. I know when I do my chats on Friday. When I look at the count, there's roughly 600 questions in the queue, and I answer about 25% of those. I don't know how it is with you, but I look, and there's so many unanswered questions, but you can't get them all done. I mean, they just keep streaming in when I do it. And even if I go 90 minutes, I still can't get things done. Let me actually look at... um... Let me look at this because I got a little bit more this year, this this today of like, why aren't you answering my... my, why aren't you answering? Oh, I don't know if I have all of that information. Usually I see it'll show clicks. So I just look, I see the queue and I can see just how many questions are in there. But there's no way, every time I get caught up and I hit the, you know, the refreshers, 18 more questions in there. And then I get caught up and, oh, there, and there's sure, just more sure. and more and it's impossible to get. But that's why well, we have the podcast. I had 1,400 clicks today and 1,100, and I sent 1,100 comments. Um, but I know that. At the end, there was like 20 minutes of Q that I just You answered 1,100 questions? <laughs> yeah. How did you answer 1,100 questions? Uh, well, uh, that might – it says comments, so maybe I answered – Oh, okay. Long. I just usually do replies. I used to go in and reply. I used the reply feature that way. No, no, I know. I, I'm just saying that uh, I'm looking at my uh, the data oh, okay. for it. And it just says comments. So I don't know if that's all comments or I my you. comments. Okay. So, but yeah, so that's where the topic's coming from today. We're going to start on the hitting side of the ledger since we've tended to be a little bit pitching heavy lately. Uh, but the hitting side of the ledger, and right out of the comments today, somebody wanted to, uh, wanted us to discuss Jason Hayward and Ian, Ian Desmond. So let's look at let's look at Hayward first. And I know when I get questions about him, it's always like, "What the hell's going on?" Why is this happening? You know, I spent this was supposed to be a good year for him. It's not working out. Should I cut? I've actually had people, should I cut Jason Hayward? God, no. Uh, you can't cut him. But I understand <laughs> if coming into today, hitting 206 with a 296 OBP and a 314 slug, it, that's it's just not working there for him so far. 
when you look at it, looking at his plate discipline, he's still walking just the way he was last year. Problem is, and we didn't we didn't bring this up last week when we were talking about strikeout rates going up or down because we didn't get that deep into the chart. But his strikeout rate is down a full six percentage points from 16.6% last year to 22.6% this year. So that's a noticeable drop, but we only got the 7-plus percent, guys, um, when we talked on Tuesday. So that's going on with him. He's chasing a few more pitches out of the strike zone. I see that rate being up a little bit, uh, and he's swinging and missing more frequently than he has in the past. That said, I mean, the 160-point drop in his OPS is, pretty, is a pretty tough pill to swallow. Yeah, I think it's mostly power, which takes the longest um, to to stabilize. So I think, for the most part, I'm actually there are some things I'm happy about. I am I am a little bit worried about the contact rate, uh, and I am a little bit worried about the fact that he's swinging at pitches in the zone less. Um, I don't know why he would do that. You know, he's he's kind of a he's a good patient hitter, so I don't know why you know he's kind of picking the wrong things to pitch, to swing at right now. But all that said, I've never really thought of him as much more than a 260, 270 hitter. Um, you know, he's 257 for his career. So, you know, if I, I think he can do that um, with a 22% strikeout rate too. So I think it's a little bit more about whether or not his power will come back. The nice thing is he's, he's uh, stealing more mm-hmm. this year. He's already taken off five times. So, um, if, you know, if he takes it off five times a month, he can steal, you know, 25 bases. Um, and I honestly, I don't think it's that hard for him to hit 20 homers. It's, I think it's about health for him. If he's healthy for the full year, I think he'll go 20, 25 with like a 250 batting average by the end of the year. So, um, you know, it, even if you adjust that a little bit here and you say uh, 250, 18, 15, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's still a valuable player. It's probably not a star. So it's a question about whether or not you draft him to be a star. I doubt that many people draft him to be a star coming off a 250 season where he hit 14 right, homers right. though so you know i think he's gonna be he's gonna be uh better than he was last year in the end uh he'll be better than he looks right now i'm not actually too worried about him but you know i guess from the brace perspective there is some you know and one also thing i do like is that his ground ball fly ball rate is is uh, a one-to-one combination um which is a lot better than the uh the heavy ground ball stuff he did early in his career so you know, I still think there's a chance here for a power explosion at some point. Um, I don't know what you know the, the current problem is, um, but he's still young enough that uh, I'm not uh, I'm not killing him just yet. I mean, he's 25. Right. Now, he, what I look at, he is seeing a higher percentage of fastballs this year, and that's where that's where it's kind of concerning as he's seeing that higher percentage of fastballs, and he and he's doing worse with that. These are his numbers on pitches in the strike zone. Last season on pitches in the strike zone, he hit 297 and slugged 536. This season, he's hitting 242 and slugging 387. So that speaks to the point where he's just not able to do much with these fastballs. He saw 58% fastballs in the strike zone last season. He's seeing 65% this year. So clearly pitchers are comfortable challenging him with fastballs in the zone, and he's not doing anything with them. He is, uh, you know, with the fly ball rates identical. He's hitting more line drives, so you would think his batting average would be higher, but it's not. And obviously he's got a 50-point drop in batting average. His line drive rate on pitches on fastballs, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, just pitches in the strike zone has been 26% this year. It was 22% last year, but that's not showing up in his batting average yet. Yeah, and, I, and uh, you know, 
we've seen we think we've seen a lot of him, but I, I'm going to go back to the 25 year old well just because you know even with I, I did some research that thought that maybe uh, isolated power um, peaks earlier than people thought that uh, power is one of these skills that peaks early. Um, I feel like I saw um, uh, I saw a peak around 25, 26 for isolated power. You know, he's not there yet. So even if you're moving the peak, um, you know, forward, he's still young. Um, there are people who don't debut until his age. So, uh, you know, I know that it's frustrating. And someone said, you know, how can we call it unlucky if he's if it's been his whole career? Well, for his career, he has a 300 batting average on balls in play on the nose. And, um, you know, right now it's 257. So... I think there is a little bit of unluckiness going on right now uh, or whatever you want to call a little bit of pre-adjustment phase. I think he'll make an adjustment and we'll see him come out of this. And for what it's worth, um, you know, the, the Braves actually need a little bit of this because I think that they, their pitching has been a little bit unsustainable. I mean, it's been crazy good. And, uh, and so I feel like um, – uh, at some point, the bats are going to need to wake up. The, the bats, other than Justin Upton, are going to need to wake up a little bit and provide them a little more, uh, a little more help around the corners. Um, so, I think you know we may see Dan Ugla uh, drop soon if they start losing some games by a run or two, and Dan Ugla is still hidden the way he is. We may see him either, you know, DFA'd or you know pushed to the bench or something. Um, and I don't think that Tyler Pastern and and I actually think it might be a DFA because. Um, you know, he's not a good defensive replacement. Tyler Pasternicki or Elliot Johnson, I don't know who, who it is exactly around right now these days. I think it's Pasternicki. He's going to be a better defender. What about so. Lestella? What's, think, what's his situation? I'm saying, I think, I think Pasternicki's not doesn't have the offensive ceiling, so if they're going to uh, do something about Ugly, I think it's going to be Lestella. And I think what it'll take is a week worth, a week worth of uh, – of just you know a couple bad losses like they had against Harang and and or even a couple like three to two four to two losses where you know they just needed one more hitter um, and uh, Ugla you know at this point in his career I thought maybe there could be a little bit of bounce back but you know he late peaker um, and not that that alone means that he's going to be an early decliner but it does mean that uh, he had to be closer to his peak to be relevant in the, in the major leagues. Yeah. And so now he's further from mm-hmm. that peak, and so he may not major leagues. Yeah, agreed. I think what, what I'm saying is will happen is pitching will, will fall back a little bit, and they'll need something from Hayward, and they might bring up to Listella, and maybe this new lineup helps um, all the hitters except for Upton sort of. Uh, do something. I'm heading into play on, on Tuesday with Atlanta after we recorded. They had a staff, a starting staff ERA of 157. You know, they, they Alex Wood had an eight spot hung on him. Harang had a big spot hung on him last night. My best friend's a Braves fan. He texted me this morning. Marlins are tipping pitches. I swear they're, they're stealing signs. I swear they're stealing signs. I was like, whatever, you know, change of signs. But then I, I, I got stationary, pulled up my computer. Look at this. Marlins at home have a 19% strikeout rate at the plate. On the road, they're the league worst, 29%. At home, they have an 840 OPS. On the road, 621. So maybe it's this isn't tinfoil hat stuff after all. And the Marlins have the best home record in baseball right now. So I don't know. That That's a tremendous – I mean, those kind of splits are what the Rockies usually get 
just from playing at Coors Field, not playing at Coors Field. But to get that big of a strikeout, I mean, these guys just suddenly don't become contact hitters at home and then stink on the road. I mean, that's a 10% split, a 10 percentage point split in contact rate. And your ballpark, I don't care how good you enjoy your backdrop. That's just something, something doesn't smell right there. That's really interesting. And I saw he made a he made a note to me because he's like, you know, go back and watch the video. There was some times when there was nobody on base where Gaddis was down there showing multiple signs. So that kind of you know, there was enough there to like pass the sniff test. Like, hmm, maybe there is something there. Whoa, that is really interesting. Flashing through signs because someone's looking. Huh? Flashing through signs with nobody on base. I saw him flashing through signs with a runner on first base. And you can't, I don't care who you are, you cannot see that sign from first base unless you're taking an extreme lead. But I saw him flashing multiple signs with a guy on first. So th- there may be something there. Uh, I don't know, but it, the Braves haven't said anything about That's it. That's funny, too. I wonder if we could give him the Toronto treatment and actually find the guy in the in the uh, stands because the stands are probably pretty empty, <laughs> <That's> right? <true. laughs> so, so we just need to look at some pictures of the fans and look to see if anybody's got binoculars up or anybody's out right in center field. That is true. Um, with uh, last point I wanted to make with Hayward, getting back to some data. This is his data on fastballs in the strike zone. Last season on fastballs in the strike zone, hit three ten, slug five thirty eight. This season, hitting 200, slugging 356. It just gets back to the point where pitchers are not afraid to challenge this guy in the strike zone right now. And for whatever reason, he's not doing anything with it. He has two home runs off fastballs in the strike zone this year, one off of Zach Wheeler and one off of Kyle Loesch. So we got a really good fastball pitcher and a not-so-good fastball pitcher. Uh, but last season, seven home runs off fastballs in the strike zone. This year, it just it, it's not he's just not able to drive these pitches. Yeah. I just feel like that's the kind of thing that's going to change. Maybe he's looking for something else. That's the kind of thing where maybe if you were looking for off-speed stuff because you thought you were having a problem with change-ups or whatever, and, and you and you think you know maybe pitchers have changed the sequencing a little bit and they're throwing fastballs and a little bit different counts mm-hmm. or whatever, um, then you know maybe he's just not prepared for the fastball. But if he did so well against the fastball in the past, and uh, let me look at his pitch type values, yeah. For his, uh, oh, I'm looking at Ogla. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit that different. Uh, yeah, no, let me look at his pitch type. Pitch type values aren't perfect, but you know they are about the result um, of of, uh, of a play. And yeah, his fastball pitch type values are good for his career. I mean, he did have a bad year in 2011, and it's possible for him to have a bad year against fastball. But um, I think that it's certainly possible that he's looking for something else and uh, and having trouble adjusting back to the fastball if he just starts to think about the fastball a little more. I mean, these are the kind of things that happen. I mean, I have, you know, Brandon Belt uh, finally making adjustments where, you know, he, he opened up his grip, he opened up his mm-hmm. front foot, and that allowed him to get to the inside uh, pitch. So he started pulling the ball. He started hitting the low ball and he started taking it out of the park. As soon as that started happening, pitchers started throwing him up and away. And there were, you know, part of some of his contact rate problems this year has been from, you know, trying to hit that, that, that up and away pitch. And now the last in the last two games or the last game, he tried to take everything the other way. So it's like we, we think of Brandon Belt as a spray hitter and then he makes some changes and he's a pull hitter for power. And then the pitchers changed and then he's a spray hitter. So, uh, you know, I think there's a, a lot of these things are just adjustments and Maybe, you know, what, what's on Hayward right now is to prove that he can adjust yeah, back. Yeah, maybe it's... And, and, and we were saying, yeah, 
I, I think it's Chris as yeah, he can. Maybe if if he were to because you know, in talking with men, men's often talking about how hitters should approach and say, look, a hitter can't cover both sides of the plate. They can't be sitting change up and try to catch up fastball. You have to be looking fastball and adjust to the off speed pitch. Maybe in his case, if if Hayward were to sit on fastball and look you know, maybe look away, and if you see it inside, at least now you know what the pitch is, and you can pull your hands through and try to do something with it. Uh, it just seems like he needs to simplify his game a little bit and try to work on something to gain some confidence back because it's not working. And Ian Desmond's a similar player. We look at Ian Desmond, overall numbers last year, hit 280 with a 784 OPS, struck out 22% of the time. This season, hitting 232 with a 644 OPS, and his strikeout rate's way up to 30.3%. He's still walking the same, but when I look at his plate discipline data, this is where it stands out. He's only chasing a few more pitches, but he's swinging and missing at a higher rate this year than he did last year. Yeah, and you know, I actually did write a piece uh, coming to the season, not to, I'm not, uh, you know, patting myself on the back, but I'm just saying, I, I, I did think about this coming to the season, saying, you know, how risky is this guy? Uh, you know, after two seasons of a 280 plus batting average, are we just ready to say that's who he is? But right now, his batting average on balls and play is neutral. Uh, all those whiffs are actually turning into more strikeouts. He's always had a decently high whiff rate, but um, his aggression in the past has has turned in, has turned into fewer strikeouts than right now. Um, so you know, there was a decent amount of risk, and not for nothing, his defense isn't great. Um, and, uh, the, you know, the fact that he's now swinging more, swinging more in the zone, but also swinging more outside the zone and making less contact, all of that is, uh, just sort of exacerbating the sort of aggressive, uh, line that he always had. So, you know, he'll get his homers probably. The power's still there. Um, you know, he's hitting a lot more ground balls. There's a possibility his Babbitt goes up, uh, to mitigate some of the strikeout problems that he's had, but, I never really considered him a great bet for another 330 on base percentage or another 280 uh, batting average, um, and so I, I, I had a hard time making him my you know top one, two, three uh, shortstops going in. I don't know exactly where I rated him, but it definitely wasn't the top. Here's two. the thing with him: unlike Hayward, fastballs in the zone are not the problem for him. He's actually doing exactly what he did last year in terms of hitting it for average. He's actually doing better with power. He only hit five home runs on fastballs in the strike zone last season. He's already he already has four now. So that's and the, and the contact rate, everything's the same. It's the soft stuff in the zone that's getting him out. So maybe he is sitting on fastball, but you know when you guys are throwing on the other stuff, that's what's giving him problems. Well, that's so that's really funny because if you look at his at his stuff last year, he in terms of pitch type values, he did the poorest against fastballs and the best against changeups. And this year. Uh, his fastball uh, rates are up, and every single other pitch is negative. Yeah, the soft stuff. So I mean, here's I, why I, I found the splits. The soft stuff in the strike zone last year, he hit 380 against it. it this is over a 400 pitch sample size. Hit 380 against it at a, a 1087 OPS. This year is hitting 176 with a 348 OPS. The swing and miss rate is way up for him uh, on this. And these again, this is soft stuff in the zone. So changeups, curves, that kind of thing. It's it's right now. It's only been an eighty-three pitch sample size, but it's eating his lunch. Yeah, and uh, you know, if if you gave me two hitters and you said which of these two hitters is going to adjust first, 
one has a 5% walk rate and one has a 10% walk rate. I just, I, I'm a little bit more, um, more leave a little bit more, especially if they're, they have similar contact rates and similar strikeout issues. Um, I would, I would take the guy with the better walk rate just because I think he has a better innate sense of where the zone is, better restraint. Um, you know, so, you know, I'm not saying I'm worried about Ian Desmond, uh, but I am from a, a batting average standpoint in that I don't think that necessarily he's going to have a better batting than Jason Hayward here on out. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Let's stick with let's stick with the Nationals and look at Anthony Rendon, who is uh, off to a nice start. He's having a bit of a homecoming this uh, this week as he's in Houston, uh, taking on the Astros. He went to Rice University, has a, a bit of a fan club there at, at games this week because uh, he's arguably the best player to come out of Rice University in uh, quite some time. So he's been down there, and if we look at how he's doing so far this season, comparing last year to this year. I mean, the numbers are way up. So far coming into today, hitting 316 with a 352 on base percentage, a 544 slugging percentage. Compare that to last year, 265, 329, 396. Strikeout rate is down almost three full percentage points. Uh, he's swinging and missing a little bit more often this year and chasing more pitches. His chase rate has gone from 18% to 24%. But... The, you can't argue with the numbers. This guy's hitting, driving the ball to all parts of the ballpark. He's got home runs to left, center, right. He's got doubles off the wall to right, center, to left, center, using all parts of the field right now. Pretty much what he did last year, but he's showing more power this year. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's it's sad. In my chat, they pointed out the fact that, you know, I'll, people will forever link me with my mistakes um, as a tout. And uh, so there was one guy who was like, every time Brad Miller strikes out, I think. Uh, I'm glad they think of you and not me. <laughs> because I was right I know, there, too. <laughs> like, I was like, what, what about Anthony Rendon? You know, I loved him, too. I told everybody about Anthony Rendon. And, it, you know, for every Corey Kluber or whatever, there's a Tyler Skaggs call. So it's like, you know, just please remember my right. Yeah, my cross, too, my but, cross uh, the bear has been Michael Morris, who I said would be DFA'd by Father's Day. And uh, that, hasn't, that hasn't worked out. <laughs> Yeah, but Rendon, somebody I have, I have five shares of this guy. I loved him coming into the season. Yeah, I really, I really bought in. Um, and I, what I liked about him was that I saw a tiny swing strike rate last year was five percent. This year it's you know closer to six percent. But I saw a tiny swing strike rate. I saw some um, uh, uh, evidence in his minor league rates uh, that he could maybe improve the strikeout rate. I saw, you know, every stop in the minor leagues, he had almost double the walk rate he had last year. So I actually think there's some on-base percentage upside still remaining in him uh, just because I think he's he does have a good sense of the zone. Um, and I, I saw, you know, from his, uh, from his draft pedigree, from his history, I saw great power upside. And... He hadn't quite tapped into that yet. So even though, you know, he did have 400 plate appearances, another thing I saw in that 400 plate appearances last year was, you know, a good amount of help. I mean, between the minors and the majors last year, he managed 600 plate appearances. So, uh, well, not quite, but uh, pretty close. So, you know, given his, you know, the question about whether or not he had a history problem, an injury problem, I thought, you know, 600 years, 600 plate appearances, great contact rate. Decent uh, patience, decent mm -hmm. power, and pedigree from the draft of having great power and great patience. So I was like, I'm on board. I'm going to buy this guy where I can. Um, and uh, I don't really see 
anything to be worried about except for those questions. I mean, I guess you can still say there's an injury question right. with him, but I don't think it's much that I would sell him um, for anything less than full price. Uh, you could point to his batting average on balls and plays, 344, but, uh, I mean, he's hitting with a lot of power right now. Uh, you know, I don't think that I, I don't, when I look at his batted ball stuff, I don't really see anything to be worried about there. Um, so, uh, I just, uh, I feel like, um, you know, he's, he's not hitting any pop-ups. That's, that's always good for you. And he's hitting a lot of line yes. drives. You can't, you can't really point to line drives though, cause they're not sticky full season. So, you right. know, and they're too, and they're still they're, too they're, subjective. Right. Exactly. So. I, I just say everybody knows what a pop-up is, and he's not hitting them. So that's a good thing. He's hitting for power. You know, I'll take the over on his rest-of-season projections in terms of power and batting average. They've got him down for about 270 and 10 homers the rest of the season. I'm willing to be more optimistic and say like 280 and 15 the rest of the season Agreed. is possible. So the you know, with like a 290 batting average and, and 18, 19, 20 homers. Yeah, I think Agreed. And I, for all the same reasons you listed, that's why I liked him as well, because I like going after a guy. You know, there was a, a little bit of, of chatter that maybe Rendon was turning into a bust because he wasn't hitting for power. He really wasn't hitting for a good average uh, last year as well. Some people were like, okay, you know, four years ago, people were talking about him as the top overall draft pick. And it took that bad year, uh, that final year at Rice where he was hurt that he didn't do well for him to drop down in the draft. But people thought he was a shoe in for the number one overall pick that one year. And, you know, it took some time for him to get up. He was hurt. I really liked what I saw from him in the AFL. He's one of the players that I got to interview uh, out there in person a couple of years ago. Really enjoyed the conversation I had with him. Uh, you know, you could tell there's a, there's an internal motor that burns with him. But you watch him hit this year, and you mentioned it with the batting average and balls in play being a three forty four. Yeah, this isn't a, a lucky 344. This guy's hitting the snot out of the baseball right now. Again, to all parts of the, all parts of the park, when you do that, teams can't shift on you, and it, it it works. And that's what he's doing right now. And I think again, the injury is really the only concern I have with the guy because we, we can't we can't uh, overlook his previous injury history there, uh, and just say, oh, we love this guy. He'll never get hurt because we love him. Uh, and then he gets hurt. Let's move down to Miami and the other request that we had. Somebody wanted to discuss Marcelo Zuna. And uh, off to a great start so far. Ozuna's hitting 310 with a 364 on base percentage and a 480 slug. Hit a three run bomb last night off of uh, Aaron Harang in that particular game. And uh, this is coming off a year that he hit 265 with a 303 on base percentage and slug 389. The biggest difference in his line. Strikeout rate identical. It's the walk rate. He's almost doubled it from four and a half to eight point two percent right now. He is not chasing a lot. He's chasing much fewer pitches. Went from thirty three percent chase rate to a twenty nine percent. He still sw- he still has some swing and miss in his game. His swing and miss is slightly below league average, but he's walking more and he's not chasing out of the zone. And that's a lot to like. That's an interesting chase number on on Fangraphs. We've got. Um... Uh, we've got him basically around league average now, uh, around 33%. But um, uh, he uh, he did improve there, and he's swinging less. Uh, I like all those things. The and I did actually. I thought he was far and far and away better than Jake Marisnik. I thought he was a lock for an outfield role all year. I thought that the the fact that they brought him up last year and just basically let him go with it uh, said that they were they thought he was ready for the big leagues. And I thought that he had nascent power, which, you know, his minor league numbers suggest. So there was a lot of things I like about him. 
there's a little bit more of a whiff of sell high for me mm-hmm. on him in that his swing strike rate's still pretty bad. Um, and, and, and his contact rate's not very good. So, you know, I don't really know how he's managing to have a league average strikeout rate with patience and a swing strike rate that's like, you know, five points ahead of the Those guy. are the guys that concern me. I, I brought that up. Uh, I had done a, I did something at Rotowire the other day and talked about you know, somebody like Jackie Bradley Jr., who has a very low chase rate, but a very high strikeout rate. I mean, those kind of, if you're getting beat in the strike zone like that, that's a red flag for me. If you're getting, if you're getting beat, you have a high strikeout rate because you're chasing stuff, then that's one thing. But like Abraham Almonte is another guy. He has an extremely high strikeout rate, and most of it is from missing stuff in the strike zone. And uh, those are those are never good signs for me. But uh, I want to go back to when we did our Marlins preview. Uh, you and I differed on this. You were very much an Ozuna guy. I was not. Uh, I said, is there anybody on this team draftable from from fantasy perspective besides South Lamakia and, and Stanton? You said, yeah, Ozuna. So since you were getting crap from your other stuff, I'm bringing up the fact that you stuck up for this guy <laughs> back then, and, and I did not. So another one in your scoreboard, another one in my loss column uh, so far with him. But uh, there's a- – you're, you're right to point out the zone contact rate. Um, I guess the only thing I would say is last year he was average, you know, average tick above average. This year he's well below average in zone contact. So maybe um, he'll find a, a happy medium in between the two. Uh, but, yeah, he's missing He's missing on pitches inside the zone. And, um, you know, I, I I'm a little bit worried about that. I think, you know, there's a chance the strikeout rate gets worse. I mean, obviously, in the minor, he's actually improved his strikeout rate. Both of his strikeout rates in the majors are better than almost every strikeout rate he had in the minors. And we're talking about a guy who only had 47 plate appearances at Double A or better. So, um, you know, this is it's a very weird story. It's almost like the Jose Fernandez of the hitter side, where they just they just brought him up, they started his clock way early. I have no idea why. Um, and you know, there was. Reasons you could have said stay in the minor leagues, work on that strikeout rate, you know. But no, they just they just he saw forty seven plate appearances of him in Double A and just pulled him right. That's out. what the Marlins do, um, though. Look at their history of they they are very aggressive in their promotions. You know, I guess you know the one thing that I would say that isn't a favor is um, in this way is that the research that Zimmerman is doing is showing that peaks are earlier and earlier. And especially in this, uh, I'm going to put massive air quotes in the air, pre uh, post steroid era. Um, uh, the, he's found that the, the peaks are earlier and earlier, and he's finding that players sort of peak and then drop off. That there's like there's no sort of growth period and then a drop off. There's a you know a tableau, a tableau. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, Bill. <laughs> plateau. There you go. <laughs> there's a plateau. And then a drop off after twenty six, twenty seven. So, um, you know, maybe the Marlins uh, agree with that sort of research, and are they saying, why do I need to waste bullets? Why, why would I have Jose Fernandez throwing to minor league guys? You know, why would I want him to have TJ before he ever got to the majors? You know, just throw him out there, get what he, you know, get their best performances when they're young, and if it all comes together at the right time, we compete, and if it doesn't come together at the right time, we sell them right before they're expensive, and that's. They're kind of, in a way, A's-like, you know, in that in that in that way. Except that they don't seem to they, they have less patience than the A's. You know, if 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 things aren't working out, they'll sell every piece that's not nailed down. I mean, if they, if 
if they if they if things fall apart this year, they'll sell McGee, whoever you want anybody from the Marlins that doesn't have you know three more years of control. You can yeah, have. that that definitely could happen with them. Let's look at the final batters. Let's look at the speedsters. Uh, looking at D Gordon and Billy Hamilton because that question came to us on Twitter right before we started to record. Uh, D Gordon has his 13th stolen base today in that game uh, between the Dodgers and the Twins. D Gordon is now hitting 344 with a 375 on base average and a 478 slugging average. That's coming into play today before that game. Uh, with that, uh, Hamilton is hitting 245, 280, and 330, but is, is showing much better uh, skills at the plate over the last two weeks, hitting 310 with a 350 on base percentage despite not walking. Frankly, I'm surprised that either of these guys have a walk rate considering they cannot hurt you with the bat. Gordon does have one home run. I'm not sure if it was it was it did go over the fence, and so did Hamilton the other night. Gordon hit one off Max Scherzer. I forgot about that one, and then D, and uh, Hamilton hit his off of Jeff Samarja uh, two nights ago. So those guys each have a home run. But going forward, which one of these guys would you rather have? Um, you know, I think uh, one thing that I really like about D Gordon's line is his contact rate is is uh, twice Correct. as good as as, as Billy mm-hmm. Hamilton's. Um, I think we're talking about similar amounts of power. And uh, the upside for Billy, I mean, obviously the upside for Billy Hamilton is much better, I think, because he showed much better walk rates in the minors than D. Gordon ever did. So um, I think that in terms of, like, floor and ceiling, I think I still think the D. Gordon floor is a little bit higher and Hamilton's ceiling is a little bit higher, even when we're talking about this year and career. I agree with – yeah, I agree with those. Um, I agree but, definitely with that because right now, obviously, Gordon's off to the faster start. I, I just don't understand how either of these guys could have a walk rate because that's honestly the best option that both of them have to get on base in certain matchups is to walk them, and that's the last thing a pitcher wants to do is to put either of these guys on base for free. And so if you hear people saying – Oh, they don't walk. They don't walk. I, I don't care because there's no reason to make these guys to try to walk these guys. Both of these guys, you should be, you should be challenging in the strike zone. And if they do hit it in play, hope they hit it hard at somebody, and they can get thrown out because if it's a three hopper, they're both going to be safe. Yeah, and for what it's worth, um, even if you wanted them to have more patience and you and and, and have a better eye at the plate. They're getting like what you're saying is definitely happening. They're getting tons of pitches in the zone. The average is around 47. They're both getting 55. percent mm-hmm. That's very high. I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of the league leaders. The you know pitchers are throwing it you know in the zone, saying you got to do something with this. And neither of their reach rates is very high, I and mean, they both have below league average reach rates. So to their credit, they're not you know swinging wildly and and just trying to put you know bad pitches into play. They are swinging at pitches in the zone for the most part, and they're seeing a ton of pitches in the zone. And even if they wanted to walk more, you can't walk more if everyone throws it in right. the zone. Right, and so. I think what the what also is the Gordon's benefiting from being in the league a little bit longer. You know, this is not exactly his first time around the rodeo. Hamilton barely played last year. Gordon is putting sixty percent of his batted balls into the ground. That's exactly what he should be doing. Hamilton's at fifty four. Gordon's only hitting one of every five balls into the uh, as a fly ball. Hamilton's one of every three. That's not where Billy Hamilton should be hitting the ball. Uh, and line drive rate, Gordon's league average at 20. Hamilton's at 13% because he hasn't had a lot of well-struck balls. So if Hamilton could just get rid of some of those fly balls and put more on the ground, I think he would see his batting average shoot up a lot. And that's what we're seeing over the past two weeks. Hamilton's, Hamilton's hitting at a higher rate 
if we if we look at over the past two weeks to see where things are going, Hamilton's hitting 319 three and getting on base 34% of the time. Over that same two-week period, D Gordon's hitting 279 and getting on base 28% of the time. So we're starting to see those two start their separation a little bit as Hamilton's ground ball rate is now 61% over that time. Uh, and so he's putting more balls on the ground saying, look, this is what I do best. I'm going to I'm gonna accentuate it. And it's working for him right now. Again, he's not walking, but he's also striking out the 16% of the time. And that's better than league average. And the reason there's um, a little bit more ceiling, I think, with Hamilton is just because his, his speed is like, I think if you, if you put them next to each other, Hamilton probably win. Also, uh, uh, he has, even though he's been hitting more fly balls, he has been hitting infield fly balls. And D. Gordon actually had a problem with infield fly balls. So, um, you know, D. Gordon's coming from a different place on the sort of spectrum when it comes to infield fly balls, I think, and natural, natural ability. So even, even with D. Gordon improving his infield fly ball rate, it's, uh, it's only just a little bit better than average, whereas Billy Hamilton's hit like uh, one infield fly ball his whole his whole career so far. So, um, you know, I think that's, uh, that's something where, you know, there might be a little bit more innate talent with Billy Hamilton. Um, and yeah, he's, he's, he's turning around. I like the idea that you're saying he's hitting more ground balls. I think that's probably better for him. And, um, I think we'll see him turn around a little bit. That said, if he finishes, if he keeps doing exactly what he's done in the first month, 245, 280, 330, uh, with 11 steals, I think he stays in the big yeah, leagues. Yeah, and it still projects out um, to 66 steals. You look at, since the Reds, I've got a piece I'm working on now that should be up on the site tomorrow that looks at the Reds' offense now that Votto's hitting second. Their runs per game has almost doubled since they put Votto in second. And Votto's talked about, you wrote a piece about this in the spring, where Votto had hinted that Billy Hamilton's the best line of protection that Votto's ever had. I listened to a podcast uh, from Cincinnati Radio, ESPN 1530, Lance McAllister does a nice podcast there, and he's had Votto on on a weekly basis, and Votto reiterated that. He's like, Billy Hamilton is the best line of protection I've ever had. Yeah. It was better than when Jay Bruce hit behind me because I see pitches in places over the plate that I'd never see them without Hamilton on base. So I'm looking, I'm going into the granular data, looking at the pitches and saying, okay, what's going on? Where is this, you know, what kind of pitches is he seeing? But since he started hitting in the two-hole here back on April 12th, he is seeing pitches in different places. They're coming in on him now. It wasn't just a way, a way, a way. You know, he is seeing pitches on the inner half now and seeing – he's actually not seeing more fastballs. He's seeing a fewer percentage of fastballs, but he's seeing more pitches over the plate. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think I think it will it will be a good thing for him. And, um, you know, for what it's worth, I hate – I don't, you know, don't like to pace out, you know, wins above replacement, but, you know – Point three wins above placement per month is almost an average player. So, um, you know, despite his flaws, that's not an average level player. That's an that's an average player because the defense is above is 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 valuable, um, and I think he can only get better as he learns roots better. Um, the 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 speed, the base running gives him a lot of value, and um, and I think there's more there. I think there's going to be you know with a six percent swing strike rate. You know, most people who have a 60% swing strike rate have better than a 19% strikeout rate. So, you know, I think he can whittle that down, hopefully. I mean, his minor league rates were kind of high for a guy like him. Um, and that's why Gordon is a little bit ahead because I think he's uh, he's done he's done some of that adjustment period. And now he's finally, 
like you know Gordon used to have the 18 19% strikeout rates and now he's showing a 13% which is what I would love Hamilton to have um so that's a little bit more about why I do floor and ceiling there. Also, position has to matter somewhat. You know, a second baseman is worth more than an outfielder, and sometimes Gordon is a shortstop. So, um, you know, in fantasy, I'd put Gordon ahead of, of Hamilton at this point. Um, I don't know if that's sacrilege to some, but, uh, uh, you know, 13 steals in the first month, it's hard to ignore. And, and yes, Alex Guerrero is still there, but, you know, and, and Guerrero's doing pretty good in the minor leagues. But, um, you know, the thing is, I think that a lot of people – will look at the, the, the overall batting average of, for a long time. I mean, yeah, people will say, oh, he's been hitting 200 the last two weeks or something. But if you, if you can look up at the overall line and he's still hitting, you know, 310, 280, 290, you know, it won't be as bad. So I think that'll give him a long leash, you know, until his batting average really bottoms out. So, um, you know, if they, if, they, if they see that out of him, um, if he keeps it above 300, how, how do you take a guy who's hitting 300 for the season out of the role? Right, right. right. I, I don't, I just don't see it. No, happen. I agree. Let's shift over to the pitching side because uh, we've gone quite a bit on the hitters and uh, we've yet to talk about the pitchers. One of the things that we had uh, in the chat, somebody wanted to talk about Jesse Chavez and to review what we have with Jesse Chavez coming into this season over the last couple of years. Uh, bat, batters hit 270 off this guy, OPS 800, strikeout rate was right at league average at 20%. Uh, was walking roughly 9% of the batters he faced. This year, 199 batting average against, 539 OPS against. He's striking out 27% of the batters he's facing, walking just 5%. Uh, the big difference is really the cut fast, the use of the cut fastball. He's throwing it ex- a ton this year. I'm looking at a, a rate of nearly 40%. So it's a lot of cutters to both sides of the plate. And the ground ball rate has gone from 41 to 51%. Uh, so we're definitely seeing a change in process here leading to a change in results. What else have you been able to uh, to glean? I know a few weeks ago we talked, you you mentioned the anecdote about Sean Doolittle saying nobody can do things to a baseball like that guy can. But what what else have you learned mm-hmm. about Chavez since? Well, you know, there's there's a lot of people who are very sure that he's a sell high, but I, I'm not so sure. There's, there's a little bit of degradation in his stuff since he turned uh, to a starter. And that was to be expected. You know, the pitches are a little bit slower. Um, you look at some of the whiff rates, they're not as exciting. So right now he has an exactly average whiff rate um, and ground ball rate on his changeup. So he, let's let's give him an average mm-hmm. changeup. His curveball slightly better than average whiff, slightly below average ground ball. So let's give him an average curveball. The cutter is a good pitch. 10% whiff, if you count it as a fastball, um, is very good. And he throws it as often as a fastball. So let's count it as a fastball. So you, we're giving him a good, uh, good to great fastball, um, an average curve, average change, and a sinker, which honestly could get more ground balls. He gets 8% ground balls against 20% balls in play. You, you want that over 50%. Um, so, you know, there is a little bit of a whiff of bad fastball around him, and we knew that kind of going in because he switched from – you don't make the switch from a four-seam to the cutter as your primary fastball unless you got some sort of bad fastball issues going on. So – uh, I guess you could call him a bad fastball guy unless you're okay with giving him the cutter as a fastball. Then he's got everything he needs. You know, if you compare him to sort of a Kluber who has better uh, a better changeup, uh, a league-leading curveball, and is still trying to throw the two-seamer and it's not working for him, 
Um, you know, I even asked Kluber, have you ever thought about going to the cutter as your primary fastball? And he hasn't, but I think he should because I think some of his troubles come from this bad fastball. And Chavez shows some of these guys the way out uh, from that, that problem. So if you call the cutter a fastball and you think he can, he can throw it as, as a fastball this, this often all year, um, I don't really see the reason that you need to sell high. I mean, he's still a great pitcher in a great ballpark. The only question is how many innings he's got this year. Yeah, that's, I remember when we first talked about him, that was one of the things I had a concern about was uh, how deep is he going to be able to go into the season. When we see a guy take a big step up uh, in workload as far as innings pitched, that may be a problem for him. So that's really my own concern. I like the change in process here. The high ground ball rate takes advantage of the defense behind him. Uh, again, this is a change in process leading to results, not just luck. Uh, and those are the types of guys I like. I think a guy that surprised a lot of people in what he's been able to do, especially in one of these games against uh, Oakland, it was Colin McHugh. Colin McHugh uh, stunned us all by striking out 12 Mariners uh, in his first outing, but then went up against Oakland in his next time out and duplicated his success, struck out seven, went eight and two-thirds in that game, and so far two starts into the season has pitched some pretty darn good baseball. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of uh, annoying because uh, he's a he's a former, former Met, Met. <laughs> and uh, you know they could use all the arms they could use, uh, they can have. But um, you know, I, I was impressed by some of the uh, per pitch metrics. I was uh, really surprised by them. Um, I don't really know what he's changed, but even if I just use his entire career as a sample and. Uh, it's a decent sample for every pitch but the changeup. Uh, he's only thrown 75 changeups career, but 240 sliders, 260 curves, you know, 500 fastballs. So I can tell you, his four seam is above average. His sinker is average. His slider is average, and his curveball is mm-hmm. above average. So that's four pitches. I mean, you can call the four seam sinker one pitch uh, if you want to just call it a fastball. That's three pitches. The changeup, uh, you know. Is, is looks okay, so now I'm going to switch over and try and look at um, his usage a little bit. Um, it's really not that different. And what I'm seeing, no, not much difference. Um, you know, still doesn't use the changeup very often. He, he's not really using the sinker much, according to Brooks. A little more, um, breaking, a little more and, breaking balls this year than he has historically, though. Yeah, yeah, it looks like that. Um, you know, I guess what I would guess, I'm not looking at his page right now. I'm looking at his Brooks page. I would guess that he's sort of, you know, switched over to a little bit more strikeouts than ground balls um, by, you know, using the, the four seam more and the sinker less. Um, and uh, he's got decent velocity. He's got a little more. He's got a little um, more velocity. I spoke with a team source about it, and it was like, all right, we, I was lamenting to this team source. I'm like, okay. I'm currently watching a game where Eric Bedard is stinking, and then I look at Colin McHugh, who's just shoving the baseball uh, over against Seattle and Oakland. He's like, well, velocity's up a tick. And, you know, the team did do a little bit with him. Uh, his arm slot's a, a tad lower, took to some coaching, uh, and it's, it's a cleaner process with him so far. I mean, the strikeout rate is the big surprise. Against Seattle, that's not a it's not to strike out twelve Mariners again with Brad Miller in that lineup with Almonte <laughs> in that lineup. There's a lot of swing and miss in that one, but he struck out seven. He yeah. struck out seven A's, and that's a very good hitting lineup. And he looked very good against them. He's only thrown two hundred and three pitches this year in the major league level, but he's only put eight guys on base and has struck out nineteen batters. Nineteen of the fifty four guys he's faced, he sent back to the dugout. Yeah, and it's it's hard to see. I mean, yeah. 
added velocity is good, but uh, you know he added from ninety to ninety one. Uh, it's uh, you know yes, that's helpful, but I don't know you know if that's going to change everything. Not using the sinker uh, has led to a tiny, tiny little ground ball rate. Um, and I think that might be the source of some of his regression in terms of um, giving up homers in the Astrodome later in the season. Minute Maid Park, but um, yes. And all the, oh, Minute Maid, sorry. Yeah, Astrodome, wow. Um, and, uh, the, I, you know, all the rest of season projections have him giving up more than a, than a homer per game. Uh, so that's some regression. Of course, he's got a 161 batting average on balls in play. I honestly, I don't see, I don't have as much love for him as I have for Keuchel, um, where Keuchel has a breaker and a changeup, which are both above average, and I think he has a little more velocity mm-hmm. than McHugh. So uh, I would put I put Keuchel into, you know, I actually just picked up Keuchel in a mixed league. So. I'm uh, I'm because he also Keiko also showed up in the strikeouts minus walk. Um, right. Uh, I did a yep. strikeouts walk. We talked about that last time. But um, you know, I, McHugh didn't qualify for it because it's only 15 innings. So um, I, I I'll put Keiko into very borderline mixed league territory. I think McHugh is a is a great um, uh, AL only pickup. Uh, you know, 18 teams. Yeah, I pick him up. 16, 15, I'd be a little bit nervous, but um, I guess it depends. Here's a, yeah, I'm with the same thing that the fly ball rate really scares me. It's over 50% and that kind of stuff's going to catch up. No homers yet, but uh, I am a little concerned here. Let's talk about another pitcher and look at a guy. The last time we saw this guy was last year. He made, uh, got shelled out of the gate. He threw 11 games in 2013 for his team and 22 innings allowed 34 base runners, eight home runs, had a 7.25 ERA. This year, he's down in AAA to start the season. He started five games. He's won all five. He has an ERA of .80, and in 33 and two-thirds, has allowed 19 hits, three walks, and has struck out 47 batters. I'm talking about Michael Fires in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> I can only associate one thing with Michael Fires. And we were just talking about it. Bad fastball. That's that's when I looked at those uh, numbers, I was just like, "Are you kidding me?" Because I remember last year. I mean, this is a guy that obviously had to get ahead to be successful. And when he couldn't get ahead, that and he was leaving the ball up, that's when he was getting shelled uh, with things. But I mean, the numbers, at least that's an insurance plan for them. Because you look at Milwaukee, that their five guys are good right now. It looks like this thing with Matt Garz is just going to be a day to day situation on that thumb contusion. But if he were to have something go wrong. It's not like they can just throw Will Smith or Tyler Thornburg in that rotation because both of those guys are now relievers and they're not stretched out. They'd only be able to go so far. And so Fires may be a guy that ends up coming up, but that's a, I mean, that's a big turnaround for him, especially the fact that he's only given up uh, the one home run so far over 33 innings in AAA. And with Nashville, that means that's time spent in the Pacific Coast League. So he's, he's pitching in some of those PCL parks as well. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think it's uh, it's good because I'm not I'm not totally sold on Jimmy Nelson. I've gotten some questions about him, but uh, Jimmy Nelson is sort of inconsistent command, um, and uh, you know he's also for a team that's suddenly uh, you know in it. <laughs> I guess um, it, you know to throw a, a guy like that right in there, even though he's had good velocity, you know inconsistent uh, makeup, 
uh, you know, not a lot of change-ups. So, you know, some question about his arsenal. Um, so I, I think uh, I would I would go with Fires first. Uh, but there's a little bit of chuck and duck in Fires. I mean, um, a lot of homers off his mm-hmm. fastball. Um, and uh, not a lot of whiffs, not a lot of grounders. I would say that he would be a candidate for the sort of Jesse Shaw school because he has a he has an above average changeup, above average curve, and a cur- and a cutter that gets nine percent whiffs. He could just throw the cutter as a fastball, but he already throws the cutter a decent amount, and the cutter only goes eighty five. So, you know, the one reason I think that Chavez can live the way he's living is because his cutter goes eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine. If you're throwing your cutter eighty five and nothing you've got goes above eighty five, I think that you know, people are just going to sit on the change a little bit. Um, you know, I, the, I just think there's there's too much of a clustering of velocities, mm-hmm. you know. It's a lot easier if, if a cutter's coming 85 and that's what you're, you're you're resting your bat at 85, then if the change comes at 82, you're, you you know, you're a little bit more ready for it. Indeed, it's something definitely to watch, keep an eye on is with this Garza situation and see where this goes uh, the form, but that's definitely in a deeper NL league. I definitely make if you've got a bench, make a play on them and see what you see what, if you can keep some of that depth around uh, on your bench because that would be a nice policy to have. You can't with the rate pitches are dropping across the league. It's really tough to assume that everything's going to hold up just fine in uh, in Milwaukee and nothing else is going to go wrong because uh, as we've seen, pitches are just dropping like flies uh, around and to be able to have that guy first before anybody else does and beat your teammate, beat your opponents to the punch, makes a nice play. Let's look at another situation down the uh, down the map a little bit as far as pitching. We know that the Indians have moved Carlos Carrasco to the bullpen. We know that they're going to need a fifth starter on May sixth. What we don't know is who that fifth starter is going to be. There's two candidates. There's Josh Tomlin. There's Trevor Bauer. Josh Tomlin in AAA has started four games, has pitched 26 innings, allowed 19 hits, nine walks, and 18 strikeouts. Trevor Bauer, who already has one major league start, uh, really did really well against the Padres, has also started four games in the minors, 25 and two-thirds, 18 hits, seven walks, and 28 strikeouts. Statistically, Trevor Bauer has the advantage. But Josh Tomlin is in the he's on schedule because his next start date would be that May sixth day because he'd made his last start he starts today for Columbus and he's on the same schedule as Carlos Carrasco was. Which way do you think Cleveland goes here? I think they go with Tomlin because you know they they, they said that the decision was hard for them to make in spring training so they 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 like Tomlin. Um, I don't think there's there's a lot of upside, but, um, you know, I, I think they'll give Tomlin a chance. I, I think they'll give Tomlin about the cause Carrasco chance. And then if it, if it doesn't work out again, and then, then they go to Bauer. Um, if Bauer's changing things about the way he pitches, I think, you know, there's a, there's a good argument there for, to, to give him more time to make sure the mechanics are all set. And, um, you know, just uh, just give the, the the lower ceiling, older, non prospect. You know, the the first shot, I guess. And and he's on schedule. I think that's a big deal right now because they need a guy for the next time through. So at least once, twice, three times, Tomlin. I think. Yeah, I, 
the the analyst to me says yes. The guy that owns Bauer in two leagues says no. Please don't do that. I, I really need that starter in Tout Wars. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Tomlin's a free agent, but I would like to get Bauer in strikeouts or a situation I need help with as well. But I do. I think that being on schedule is a big thing. Uh, and it just uh, when you're talking about guys that are creatures of habit, uh, Paul Spore and I talked with Jensen Lewis about this. Jensen does uh, work with Fox Sports and Sports Time Ohio. Uh, he did a podcast with us yesterday, and we talked about him, and he thinks it's going to be Tomlin as well because of the schedule issue. And uh, I'm t- giving a lot of credit and credence to a guy that sits there and covers a team on a daily basis who seems to think it's going to be Tomlin as well because he's on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of what you know, what it's like to run a team, I think it's much more likely that it's going to be Tomlin just because they've got it all slotted like that. They probably did it from the get-go on purpose, and that says to me that they always thought you know, if Carrasco doesn't work out, Tomlin's plan B. It could definitely work out that way. And that is uh, what we had for the agenda on the uh, podcast today. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm working on a story uh, about the Reds. You did the Heron thing today. What's the next thing that you have uh, in the pipeline? Oh, I'm really actually excited to start working on it. I got uh, a talk to uh, Andrew Kashner in length, and I got grips, and I got him to talk about his different pitches and um, – you know how they've changed and uh he was really nice he went and found me after our after i got kicked out of the clubhouse uh the end of the for for you know clubhouse closing he went and found me on the field and did pictures with me so uh in fact the padres in general are super super nice bud black um you know he introduced himself to everybody in in the manager meeting and he actually shook hands with everybody in the manager meeting knew all their names and then looked at me yeah then he looked at me like who are you? And I and I thought he would just kind of keep going, but then he extended his hand and goes, Bud Black. <laughs> and I was like, uh, you know, Sarah's fan graphs. He's like, fan graphs, huh? Oh, nice. And, uh, and he really thought about it. I think it's probably maybe a little bit that trick where you, 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 you think about someone and you, and you make an association. So right, you remember that. Right. So, but I was impressed that he even cared because, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of people in those scrums a right. lot of times. So uh, most most of the managers sit down and just start talking. But um, he did that. And then uh, he was over uh, on the field and something happened. And he came over to where I was and he said, fan graphs. And he gave me a fist bump. <laughs> and then he said, I like your hair, kid. And That's off. fantastic. I had a recently I was down on the field uh, before the Yankee series and we were chit-chatting and uh, Stu Sternberg was in town, and he was just doing off-the-record chats about a whole bunch of different stuff with about four or five of us. And then as we're breaking around, he's just walking, you know, shaking hands with everybody. He gets to me, he says, you know, keep up the good work, Jason. And I'm, we haven't really formally introduced ourselves and met, but I didn't even have my ID badge spun around either. And I was like, oh, cool, he actually knows who I am by name and, and knows I'm doing good work. So, you know, thanks. He didn't know who I was with, but, yeah, my badge was spun around. He didn't know that. Uh, who I was with. Fangraph's getting some love. We love it. We love it. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Next episode will be on Sunday again with Nick Minix. Uh, so far, the feedback on that's been really good about having the third episode. Uh, again, anything you want Nick and I to discuss, send it to us in the comments and we'll get to it. Thanks again. Thanks again.